ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנו לכם מבייס השם. שבס, השיר, You have the people that keep complaining when the Balkhara says Va'eda, and they say, no, it's Va'eda. It's an interesting debate. Unfortunately, they're two separate parshas, two different parshas, far apart from one another. Va'eda, of course, referring to the appearance that Hashem has made to our Ovois. <coughs> which will be Hashem discuss in the course of this year, hopefully. Um, this Shabbos, the Shabbos, from Evorchim HaChedesh, Chedesh Vot. An interesting way of pronunciation of it. So it's Chedesh Vot, not Chedesh Vat. Way to go. Um, Shvat, as we know, is a month mentioned in the Teda, correct? This term is month of other, is the twelfth month. The Shvat is also the month in Chabad, a very important month. The month of Iskashas, the month that we connect with the Rebbe. Which Amir Shemu will discuss also, Habalina Teva, in the time of Yud Shvat. As the month, referring to the month that Moshe Rabbeinu begins his dialogue, begins talking, and begins to relate the Torah to Kal Yisrael. Vo'era, as we've mentioned many times, Vov Aleph is seven. Pasha's boy is Bez Aleph is three. That's one way of remembering there are seven Makis mentioned in this week's Pasha and three in the next week's Pasha. Makis. Makis. Plagues. What's up with the plagues? What happened here? What went down? You know. <laughs> Today's day and age, unfortunately, society tends to try to make things better, poo-poo things. For example, the famous group of Holocaust, Holocaust deniers, they're in denial that the Holocaust ever happened. It's not possible. If it did happen, it wasn't. It's exaggerated the way it's mentioned. Six million is way beyond a number. Maybe there were a couple hundred thousand. It's also a lot of people. We're not this exaggerated number of six million. Anyone listening to that part of the shir? is going to take that out of context and really have a heyday. 
No, I'm not referring, I'm not saying chas v'shalom. For one second, God forbid that these people, these denying people of deny the Holocaust have any kind of hands or feet, any kind of credence to what they are saying. This Holocaust, 1939 to 45, that took the lives of millions and millions of Yidin, millions and millions of Jewish children, men, women, children, innocent people that did nothing to anyone. This merciless, ruthless murders that took place happened, truly happened. If anything, the exaggeration is to the minus, not to the positive. If anything, the exaggeration to the fact of what went on there, the horrific horrific events are understated not overstated not exaggerated in any which way form or fashion so anyway back to the gist of what I was saying before I went off on that tangent if you have today people that are still alive and still testimony giving testimony to what happened by the holocaust and you still have denial you still have a group a very large faction of people in denial of the Holocaust, how much more so is it to explain and to give credence to the Makkas, to the plagues that were given, that were meted out to the Egyptians? But let us discuss the plagues, some of them at least, and let us find out why, in essence, is this not written in a medrash, in a history book, but rather written in Teda itself, which Teda is Lashon Heira. Teda teaches us. Teda gives us a lesson. Each and every word of the Teda has a lesson for us. Why then will a safer? why then would something as holy as the Teda Spend two parshas elaborating on the makis. Why is it not sufficient just to be in a medrash and hinted in the Torah? Rather, each and every one of these plagues is a lesson to us in our service, Tashem. Let us begin with the Nachash, which was not yet a plague. The serpent, the Mesha tossed his staff in front of Pari and turns to a serpent. It was a proof, it was a lesson, it was a message. And it caused tremendous havoc in the house of Pari. But needless to say, it was not affecting anyone per se as the Khartoumim did the same. Pari's clowns did the same thing. And their staffs turned to snakes. The only difference between their staffs and the ones that Aaron tossed was that Aaron, when the staff was brought back to a staff, it then consumed the other staffs. It didn't. Cons- it wasn't the snake of Aaron that consumed the others, but the staff that consumed the others. And this miracle, they could not fathom what was going on. But let us move on to the actual plagues. The actual plagues, starting with the plague of blood. Dumb! The blood. Every ounce of water that Egyptians owned turned to blood. Realize, understand, that at this point in time, the Jews were so oppressed, Rahman al-Islam, that Mesha himself couldn't understand what was God's actual plan. Looking at the suffering the Jews were being persecuted at, the misery was so profound 
That Moshe's message wasn't even entering their ears, never mind going in one ear and out the other. It had no credence to them. It had nothing to them. So this whole message of redemption, and the redemption was imminent. Pocket Pekadati did nothing. However, when the Jews saw the ten plagues striking and smiting the Egyptians, beginning with the water turning to blood, the grip of the bondage started to crumble. The Gemara tells us, for those keeping score at home, a Mishnah actually, Psachim, Perek Yud, Mishnah Hay. 10th chapter, the 5th Mishnah. Every day, every generation, one must consider themselves as if that day they themselves are leaving Egypt. Chassidus explains this means that a person constantly has to strive to escape from their inner Egypt. The Mitzorim, Mitzrayim of the word Mitzorim Vigvulim, the boundaries, the inner limitations, the compromise, the restrictions that we have for our devoted service to Hashem. And accordingly, the ten plagues represent the ten steps that we can breach each all the barriers so that we allow our godly soul to serve a God in the fullest attachment. The water turns to blood. Let us understand first who we are talking about. What region we are talking about. We are talking about Egypt where it almost never rained. And because it almost never rained they relied solely on the waters of the Nile. And this ultimately because it used to flow over the waters and irrigate the entire nation, the entire land. It became a deity. It became something they worshipped. It became the god of Egypt. Water, by nature, is cold. And therefore water represents coldness, impassiveness. And this ultimately cold middle, cold attribute that a person has, is the spiritual ills that come about from this cold attitude. And therefore, how does one get rid of this? Starting by getting the cold out. Eradicating the cold. Taking out the cold waters of the Nile. Replacing it with the warmth of blood. Blood naturally is warm. Blood is passionate. Blood is lively with enthusiasm. And that's how one serves God. One may not remain dispassionate, whether it come good or evil. There are those people that serve and they do all the mitzvahs, but they do they do it coldly, apathetically. Such a detachment inevitably leads to being attracted to things that challenge and counter the life of holiness. So the number one tool of the Sahara is coolness. He cools off, and that's why we see also later in Bishalach when the 
nation of Amalek, the Amalekites, attacked the Jews, the Torah tells us, Ashe Korcho Baderech. Korcho referring to cooling you down. And that is therefore what one needs to do in order to overcome. And that is the lesson of the first of the ten plagues. The dam, the blood, the warm blood, converting the cold water. But after all this is said and done, came the next Makkah, Tzvardeya. What a Makkah. What a plague. Frogs. Vishara Tzayir Tzvardim Volubov Vesecho Vachar Mishkovcho Vamitosecho Vesavodecho Uvamecho Sanurecho Vusharisecho the frogs went to every nook and cranny. And we spoke about the mysterious nefesh of the frogs, the abnegation the frogs had. So after breaking through the attitude of the coldness, again they were given a message, the frogs. The amphibious frog that relies on water, that lives through water, that comes through water. This amphibious frog, again, once again, is the coldness, representing again the coldness that we need to overcome. And this, under normal circumstances, ridding ourselves of such competing loyalties, that would probably be the first step before we would attempt to live a life devoted to God and godliness. The frogs were not the first plague, but the second. First came the blood, which symbolized the need to approach holiness with warmth and passionate excitement. Therefore, the order of the plagues also teaches us how we must infuse our terror mitzvahs with fervor, enthusiasm. Even if we have not yet completely cooled down our spiritually deficient lusts and desires, if any darkness undesirable passion still remains, it will ultimately be dispelled through the light and warmth of our passion-filled mitzvahs. Thus the frogs. Rashi in Devarim, chapter 8, verse 1, Perikhez Posek Aleph, Rashi says, HaMesayim B'Mitzvah importance of finishing a mitzvah because when one finishes the mitzvah that's when the mitzvah is counted as a mitzvah that was done. Until the person doesn't finish it completely it lacks somewhat. Only upon completion does the mitzvah have the value. When in doubt as to what constitutes the completion of the mitzvah, the appropriate course of action is not always the same. In a case where excessiveness is not a bad thing, such as giving tzedakah, extending your involvement in the project, of course, is ideal. In order to avoid the possibility of leaving it incomplete, you extend yourself a little extra when it comes to tzedakah. 
However, there are cases where excessiveness is not the way to go. For example, if the person does something wrong, and Bezdin decides, Bezdin deems that this person needs to be given lashes, malchus. The Tata says very clearly in the bottom, chapter 25, verse 3, only 40 lashes can be given. In such an instance, if we're not sure if the mitzvah is complete or not, we do it with a minimum standard. We take it easy on it. Because excessiveness is chasasholim and aveda. In fact, although the maximum amount we say is 40, the maximum amount that they're allowed to give is 39 to keep us away from doing 41. So now we understand the view of the Medrash regarding how the frog came out. The frog was set into motion. Aaron had to be commanding because Aaron didn't want to, Moshe didn't have anything to do with the water because the water saved him. So Aaron was involved with this. And they knew that the Egyptians was to be subjected to frogs swarming the entire Egypt. But yet it says a frog came out, not frogs. How is it only one frog came out? And this we learned the story, and this we're going to discuss now the Rashi, of what actually happened here with the one frog. Why it was one frog and not more. But the lesson that we are taking from this part itself, before we go into that, is the power of Aaron. Aaron Akayanum. Arnakaya knew that these frogs would inflict, inflict pain on the Egyptians. So I do it. And he was not one to inflict pain on anybody. And therefore, he restrains himself. And he only puts out the one frog, as we're going to explain, because he was Yetzer with minimum rather than look to do the maximum. And the Pasuk says, Vayem Hashem HaMesha Hashem spoke to Mesha, Emer Aaron, speak to Aaron, tell him, Stretch out the staff that's in your hand. On Ahoris, on the rivers. Let the frogs come up into Egypt. It continues. Aaron sticks out, stretches out his hand. Al Maimimitsaim of the waters of Egypt. Vatal Hatsvardeya and the frog rises up for the Khatsarat Mitsaim and covers the entire land. The Khartumim did again the same. And the frogs now overtook Egypt. This is the way to go.
Rashi immediately turns and says, Ben Chomash Mikra, you don't obviously don't understand. Batal Hatzvardeya, the frog came up. Was there only one frog? If there's only one frog in the whole Egypt, <laughs> it's not possible. There have to be many frogs. So Rashi says, Batal Hatzvardeya. I will tell you a story, says Rashi. Tzvardeya Achas Hoysa, there was one frog. A big frog. And he came down, marching down Main Street, Egypt. Now when he came marching down Main Street of Egypt, nobody thought this was the... uh, Um, I forget the name of the parade they have when the uh, the local team wins a ge- wins a championship. They didn't think it was a ticket day parade. They didn't think it was the Macy's parade either. One float, but it was one big ugly frog. No, the only thing the Egyptians could think of at that point. Since the Jews didn't want to work much, the first reaction every country has when they haven't got when the Jews don't work, they're being Mexicans. So they must have brought in Mexicans who told them it's a piñata. It's got to be a piñata, this big thing. So all the Egyptians took sticks and started beating the big frog. No, how you making Esau? They were beating it. And each time they did, he must says us nechilim nechilim. He was spewing out flocks of, of frogs. Zel medrash says Rashi. This is the medrash. However, upshuta yeshleimer. Since you learned the b'pashut b'shat b'chamish mikra, simple way to say this. That was good. Shigiris atzvardim keira l'shniyachidis. The multiplication of the Egyptians, of the frogs, were called in a lashon of yachidis. Then we see later also hakinim, hachisha. So same thing. The tzvardeya. This amphibian. We need to really decipher what's going on here. Rashi did us a number here. Why is Rashi first starting off with the Medrash Mechudash? About this one Svadeya, they beat it and things came out of it. What was that? this had to be explained in a simple fashion the fact that it says Svadeya this species is called Svadeya the frog they were invaded by the frog as a species we see when Yaakov says, I have an ox, I have a donkey, he doesn't say it in plural, he refers to them also in singular. The right way would be say, I have many ducks, many, many oxen. person says a lotion of, by, at night, the Tarnagel crows, calls out. There's only one Tarnagel that's going to kukuriku in the morning. We know all of them do it. It's Tarnagelim. But we use the expression Tarnagel. So here too, Tzvardeya. In singular. And the Mephoshimari explains this. In our case, it's hard to explain in a simple manner, that Svardeya 
is just the name of the species. Because in that case, the Pasuk should write Tzvardeya, not Hatzvardeya. First of all. Secondly, bottom line, there are ten times in the Pasha the word is mentioned, and it's a Tzvardim. Plural. Why here is the Pasuk changing this to singular? So we can't use this excuse of referring to it as a species. So we can say that when it rose up from the water, the Tzvardeya came up. Therefore Rashi comes the first pshat, and then afterwards explains where there came the multitude of Tzvardim. Of tzvardim. Let's go a little deeper to this. According to what we spoke about till now, We could say, we understand, that when the Tzvardeya came out of the water, it was one given frog. Thus, says Vatal HaTzvardeya. Singular. How do we know, in essence, this whole story, that they beat up the the Tzvardeya, and as they were beating it up, Some people you have to answer the phone to. How do we know this whole story here? They hit it and it multiplied. Truth is, the Gemara, those keeping score at home, is Sanhedrin, some of Zion, and Bay, 67, side 2, and the explanation of the Rashi as well. And in the Medrash Meisraba, it's explained in different ways, different forms, which are a little more natural than what's brought down over here. The one Svardaya that came up, it screamed, it bellowed, and this called all the other Svardim. All the frogs of the entire world gathered <coughs> due to the bellow of the frog that came out of the water. Or it multiplied, it had children. It had offspring, and simply multiplied all of a sudden, shooting out hundreds and hundreds, thousands of frogs. Yet Rashi chooses to tell us a total different miracle. Something that has nothing to do with natural status at all. That where did all these big, all this amount of tzvazim come from? From hitting the tzvazim. Copy and paste. What? <laughs> what? Yes, I know. Because ultimately they couldn't get rid of them. They couldn't. It wasn't as simple. Yes, they duplicated. But they didn't duplicate this way, in this fashion. So the question of the Bosik Vatal Tzvardeya 
in essence, not just the way the wording is different. Everywhere else it says Sephardim, and here in plural, and here it says only in singular. But as he said before, the wording is telling us that Aaron did not go through, did not follow through with the actual full command. Shem said in the text, "Meyotcha leyotcha b'matecha, v'hal es hatzvardim el eretz mitzrayim." Hashem told him, "Bring many frogs." And Aaron only did one. <coughs> the other makis. It said they only had to make a preparation and everything was brought by God. All the other makas came on their own. Makas dumb, just spread your hand over the water and everything became blood. Kinim, the ashes. Arbe, also just put your hand over over the land. Here, in this case, it doesn't say that. It doesn't just say, stick out your hand over the water. But it says to do it, to do the action, and and all these frogs should come up. <coughs> and therefore, when the frogs, all the frogs came, this had to be done through Aaron's hand. So how is it that Aaron completes the commandment of God substandardly? So the concept of the Tzvadeya was metaze nechilim nechilim spewing out this multitude of of frogs tells us that within this frog were all these frogs. So when this frog came out through Aaron's command in essence it brought everything with it. (coughs) This frog that he brought out wasn't a single frog a Nebuch frog. He brought up a frog that was fully loaded. (laughs) Fully loaded frog that was able to unload and flood the land. Same thing we see also by Atazas Mayim. Didn't bring up new waters. The very same water was what split. Same thing also this Svardaya, Mitaze. Multiplied. That's. Uh, So for this explanation it works. Mashenki and the other explanations of the Chazal, Aaron did not do it. He did not do his trick. The other explanations that say that either it gave birth or that he, it, it shrieked and thereby calling every, all the other frogs from the world to come and gather, it wasn't Aaron's work. So therefore it would not be understood how would Aaron not fulfill the commandment the way it should be done. Therefore Rashi t- chooses this explanation. Dafki, in this way it comes out, it sounds it looks like Aaron completed his actual mission. Mitzrayim we're hitting it. Aaron wanted to bring the Kavona, the Tzvardeya itself. He wanted the Mitzrayim to bring upon themselves the rest of it. And therefore, by hitting it, 
they caused it to multiply. Rashi therefore brings this explanation first. And only afterwards brings the Pashut Pshat. Tzvardeya Loshen Shiritz HaTzvardim is the Loshen of the, the species itself. And this we understand. That according to his understanding the Medish is the main point, main explanation. According to the way the wording of the Pasuk Shirutz Hatzvardim It's one, and it's an impartial thing within itself. But at the bottom line, how is it possible that Rashi takes a medrash about the makkasis and mesaz and achilim achilim? It it's not hinted in the pasuk at all. There's nobody there. It's not hinted in the pasuk at all. So where does he take it to give this as the main explanation? So we see that it actually really is in the, in the Pasuk. The words Vatal Hatzvardeya we can explain in two ways. Lush and Pail, the Tzvardeya came up, which was a direct effect from Aaron's work, or Lush and Mifal, that the Tzvardeya brought itself up and brought other Tzvadeim with it. And therefore, Rashi delves into the explanation, explaining the words, Vatal Tzvadeya twice. The concept of Tzvadeya Achas, Lush and Pale, and the Tzvadeya that came with it, Vatal, which is a Lush and Mifel. So the way to understand and to explain this whole thing, the words Vatal Tzvardeya has a two-fold meaning to it. Pale, Mafil, and they go hand in hand. And it's not something we just sit on the Lushan. We have to understand exactly how it works. And therefore Ashi adds also the concept of the Pshutai, the second Pshat, and the Mendish is the first Pshat. But we look at the markets and we say to ourselves, what went down? What really happened? Moshe, the leader of the Yidden, what was he actually getting at? What was he actually accomplishing with all this? And that leads us to the question, What does a leader actually accomplish? What does a leader actually do? What can a leader actually bring about? The story is told that the city called Shpole, and of course, we know the tzaddik in the city of Shpole, who is referred to as the Shpole Zayde. He was given the name Zayda because when he was born, it's a whole story of its own. Shpola Zayda, though, was a very, very, very holy man. And the Jews, of course, were very, very oppressed by the surrounding anti-Semitism. And it happened one time that the army was coming through the town. And the people, the Jews had, they were merchants, they had little booths they had set up. You can actually have a store, a big business, um, uh, supermarkets. Each guy had a little booth. Yankel had a booth. He sold shmatas. Schmonses, excuse me. You needed a button, you went to the uncle. You needed a snap, you went to the uncle. A half a snap, you went to the uncle. 
needed one shoelace, the ankle. The odds and ends. But everybody needed him. It's always a need for his things. We had a boot killer. Behind, under the table, was the major cash box. Major money. But, this is how we lived. You earned enough. Put food on the table. Paid a roof over the head. Etc. The army came through. And one soldier walked over to Yankel's booth. Looked a little bit right, looked to the left, and decided out of all the items that he saw in Yankel's store, what he liked the most was Yankel's cash box. He reached in, took the cash box, before Yankel could say boom, he disappeared into the crowds in the market. Yankel was devastated. The neighbor in the booth next to him says, uh, What happened, Yankel? Yankel said, before I could even react, told the story. This guy just took my box. In that box is everything that I own. All my money for the month. No. The guy says to him, you can do one or two things. You can sit down here on the floor and cry to Hashem that your money should walk back to you. Or, you can go to the general of this army group, the commanding officer, and tell him that someone took, one of your soldiers took my money, and demand your money back, and then sit down on the floor and pray to him. The uncle had no choice. He was desperate. He couldn't see his family suffering for a whole month. No food not being able to pay his rent, etc. Although this commanding officer was a rabid anti-Semite, Yankel picked himself up and he went in search for the guy. And every soldier he asked, where is he, where is he? This one pointed here, this one pointed there. They all left and mocked him because they knew what kind of anti-Semite this fellow was. The kid said, the uncle finally standing in the street and out of the bar, out of the tavern comes bellowing the uh, commanding officer. So I hear you're looking for me, Jew. He says, yes. And he starts to shake in his boots. Yes, he says. Mm-hmm. Your, one of your men took my money. I want it back. <laughs> he starts to laugh. He says, I'll tell you what. You're making a very bold accusation against my people. If you're going to accuse them, I'm going to give you, tomorrow I'm going to line them all up in the afternoon, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to go and to choose the guy out. If you pick out the guy and we prove that he has the money, you get your money back, and he'll be duly punished. If, however, <coughs> you can't, I'll beat you, and I'll go to your house and kill your whole family. He started to shake. It occurred to him that they all looked the same. And he didn't really even see what the guy looked like when the guy took it. What becomes of me now? I haven't got a chance. There's only one issue, one thing he could do. And immediately he ran to the tzaddik, to the Shpola Zayda. The Shpola Zayda said, don't worry about it. Tomorrow, when they go to, you go to this lineup, you will see one guy one Mechutzef, one 
brazen fellow will stare you back in the face and will grind his teeth at you, try to intimidate you. You should know that's the guy. And of course, you don't have to say that I told you. Well, Yankel arrives back at the camp. And the uh, commanding officer says, Go! Let's go, Jew. Find your guy. Yankel brazenly walks one guy to the next. And suddenly, exactly like the Rebbe said, guy starts staring at him, grinding his teeth. Yankel says, This is the guy. He's the one. Give me back my money. Commanding officer says to him, Did you do what happened? Before he can say anything to him, the guy starts to scream at the commanding officer. So what if I took the money? I took it from a dirty Jew. What right do they have to have the money? I have the money belongs to us. Everything belongs to us. The commanding officer was in shock. Here he has an open confession that this fellow did indeed do the deed. He's the thief. This open confession shows that Yankel really was robbed and really did find the guy. At this point, the commanding officer turns to Yankel <coughs> and asks him, How did you know, sir? How did you pick him out? How did you recognize him? So he said, because he was looking at me, he was grinding his teeth. How did you know that meant that that was him? And he was shaking, and the guy was screaming at him, and so intimidating. He finally said, because the Shepol told me. He says, what? Who's the Shepol The holy Jew you're talking about? Not holy Jews. Listen to me. You go get that holy Jew here. I want to see him here. And by 5 o'clock tomorrow, if the both of you don't come back here, I'm going to come kill all of you. Oi. Now I really messed things up. I even brought the Rebbe into this. Why did I, couldn't I hold myself in? Why did I mention the Rebbe? Now the Rebbe is going to be tortured as well from this. And first things first, obviously, is confront the Rebbe about this. Tell the Rebbe what happened. Yankel goes back to the Shpal Zayda and tells the Shpal Zayda exactly what transpired, how he told them, and after they fell, they asked him how he knew, told him how he knew, there's a holy Yid. And now the commanding officer wants to see the Shpal Zayda. Shpal Zayda says he wants, I also want, I'm not going. I'm not going. Go back there and tell him I'm not coming. In case he doesn't understand and starts to scream why I'm not coming, tell him to check his pocket. No. He had no bread, he had to go back there to face the music. And he goes back and he confronts the general. Where's my money? And the officer says, I'll give you your money. Where's the old man? Where's the Rebbe? Where's this holy Jew? Oh, he's not coming. He says he's not coming. Then he reaches for his gun. He says, I'll blow your head off and then I'll go blow his head off. What do you mean he's not coming? He said, he said he's not coming. And he starts to scream what kind of audacity this fellow has. Who does he think he is? 
as he's screaming and as he's getting angrier and angrier, about to take his gun out to shoot Yanko, Yanko said, and he told me to tell you, check your pockets. What? He told me to tell you, check your pocket. No, the commanding officer was intrigued. And he reaches into his pocket. And lo and behold, he takes out an envelope. He looks at the address on the envelope. And he takes his gun. And he puts it by his temple and he blows his head off. Kills himself. So I want to get rid of him. The kid said, so the soldiers see this, the big man, the commanding officer, top cheese, is dead. They all dispersed, ran for their lives. And it remained for Yankel to figure out what's going on here. This is what the secret was. The secret was as follows. This commanding officer here, this great Sechuchim, was a revolutionary. He was planning a revolution to overthrow the king, the czar, whoever he was. And he would overthrow it. He was going to lead the revolution, actually. Overthrow the authority and become the king. So in order to be a good politician, he sent a letter to the king, praising the king, telling him how wonderful he is, showing him what kind of ally he is, so that he can get closer to the king without the king realizing. The Vaila, he had his troops, his revolutionary gang with him, and he sent them. He was going to send them a letter also, giving them instructions as to what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going down, and saying, of course, that with prayers of the demise of the king and the destruction of the king, and I will then rule you, and I will show you what real rulership is. And he signs his name. So this letter was going to all the revolutionaries. When he reached into his pocket, he had one envelope, because one envelope he sent off to the king. The letter to the king he sent, praising the king and everything. When he looked at the envelope, he realized it wasn't that letter for the revolutionaries was not in his pocket. The letter for the revolutionaries he sent to the king. He realized he is dead meat. So immediately he took his own life. And this, the Shabbat saw exactly what, when, and where. And this we see, the greatness of a tzaddik. How we need to believe, when the Meshach Rabbein of our generation says something, and the generation, the Meshach Rabbein says, pocket pakadati, that the Geula is imminent, and that we're going to now see redemption, we need to pay full attention. And not chasashalom, have a moment of doubt, a second of question, but rather know and understand the words of the Navi, the words of the Nasi, will live on. The prophecy will come into fruition. And therefore, <laughs> although the Jews in Egypt were under great oppression and had a hard time believing and understanding the words of Mesha. We need to believe the words of the Mesha of our generation. I had today a, a couple here. And the woman told me a story. She, had a do- she has one daughter. And the daughter had a very hard time in life because the father refused to be religious or keep anything in religion. And therefore... He refused any religion in the house. The mother tried to keep religion. The child at one point in the stage in life was very confused and left home. And was away from home for a year's time. She tells me this woman, she went to the oil. And she davened at the oil and she said, Rebbe, please put 
the understanding in my daughter's heart and mind to come home, to return. The very next day, the daughter called and says, Mama, I'm coming home. So we see Divrei Tzadikim, Chayyamim, Chayyamim La'ad, and so too, our Rebbe's words will come to, to us, and will be with us, and this very Shabbos, Shabbos Mubarak, Ma'chidish Rat, will be in Yerushalayim, in Ma'chidish, Shabbat Shalom to all.